Australia, broadcasting around the world. Around the world. You're listening to the Mitch Maroney Show. Here's your host, Mitch Maroney. With on the cryptos, I suppose from your experience with the organized crime, that would be quite a big way for them to move money around and stuff at the moment. There are all sorts of different tools that people use, and it is a perpetual game of almost playing in the dark. As soon as regulators, government, police identify something, then, of course, you think about it, black economy operators are sort of like economy entrepreneurs as well. They'll always try the next thing is we'll find somewhere else to do it. In many ways, a lot of these criminals are entrepreneurs just on the other side of the yeah. legal ledger. Yeah. Yeah. So you always have to think, and you'll never completely eradicate it, but you do need to get down to the level that you can. So sometimes you've even got to put yourself in the shoes of some of this change, what will people do in response to it in order to, for example, if we crack down on cash payments, how will organised crime, how will uh, illicit traders therefore try and find a way around? You need to try and think like they do sometimes. Yeah. Got to think like the poacher. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But that makes sense. I'm quite surprised about the tobacco, though. I didn't realise that. I mean, I would have thought, you know, your standard illicit drugs that everybody knows, you know, meth, weed, heroin, etc. But, yeah, tobacco, that's interesting. It's an interesting group of organisations that have come together for this. So the Black Economy Advisory Board, which, as you mentioned, I chair for Federal Treasury, is a mix. There are about three or four government agencies at the table. Border force, so they do not only immigration, but they do literally customs as part of that. So they're right at the front line. It is the Australian Taxation Office, because that is obviously another key mechanism. There's Federal Treasury. Then there are, from the private sector, bodies as diverse as Council of Small Business of Australia, COSBOA, PwC. There is a, a the Recruitment and Consulting Services area, because a lot of labour hire practices in recent years have been subject to critical scrutiny as to whether or not people are being paid properly as well. So-called wages theft or wages cheating, not being paid full amount for it. Interestingly enough, of course, we'll probably all remember a couple of cases about big franchise chains doing that as well. So yeah. as I said, previous <laughs> topic, the horticulture industry, because they get a lot of seasonal workers mm-hmm. I mean, and sometimes those people do have tax file numbers, sometimes they don't. Yeah. So a diverse mix yeah. there. Restaurant and Catering Association is another one because it can be a strong temptation in some of those sectors to sort of say, look, I'll just pay your cash out of the till and leave it. Yeah. But yeah. Well, even things was, that slight detour we'll, we'll get back, but I have no idea whether they've been investigated at all and they're cleared. They could be cleared. That's my disclaimer on that one. But the car washes, you know, the ones at shopping centres and all of that, I do kind of do my maths in my head and go, okay, well, you know, you're cleaning my car for $60. There's three of you on there for an hour. How are you making money? You know, on rent and everything else as well. So that'll be interesting to see what happens with that. And, you know, it could be legit, but I don't know. Look, I think it speaks to a bigger issue that we it is really important about the black economy, and that is that what are the values we as a society add to being involved in paying tax? There's a fair bit, for example. So some cultures, I think the Italians famously have a saying that's like, only fools pay tax. 
which kind of surprised <laughs> That's a pretty clear sense of perhaps how people treat the system over there, whereas, well, what's the joke? The Italians spend their time trying to work out how to avoid tax and the Germans spend their time working out how to pay it. <laughs> uh, so it just goes to show you, you know, very different perspectives. So there, there's a cultural element there about encouraging people to do the right thing because ultimately those monies are the things that pay for schools and hospitals Healthcare, which is obviously a really important one at the moment, wildlife conservation, education, almost everything that we as a civilised country want to want to see ourselves and our children have access to. But at the same time, we also know that if governments come down too heavy and have too many rules, then it makes perfect sense for people to try and move into the black economy. If you have tax rates that are so high, then people will go, it's just not worth my while, I might as well be in the black economy and if I get caught, eh. Are still being more advantage. We don't want to be at that point and we don't want to make rules so hard. And we also don't want to create such a, an atmosphere where people feel that the government is there to give you a hard time and, and the government will always treat you from the beginning as a criminal unless you can prove you're not otherwise. The tax commissioner himself has said on a number of occasions, most people, the vast number, 95% more, do the right thing. And we've got to be really careful about not using the old sledgehammer to crack a tiny peanut when, in fact, a small number of people may be breaking the law. Sure, we've got to go after them, but we don't need to make the other 95% pay the price for that yeah, as well. Yeah, and sometimes, not that it makes it right, like ignorance of the law is no excuse, but some claims and stuff could just purely be ignorance and they thought they could and they didn't. And it could just be a small one. So it really varies like from a tax point of view, you know, claiming laundry for the 150, whereas they might have only been entitled to half of that, for example, versus somebody ripping off the government a million dollars by a tax. So it is important to remember that it isn't everybody, like you said. You also got to use it proportionately. I mean, in reality, of course, there are always those small little claims. And again, that yeah. question, how much time and effort would you spend to track that down? as opposed to, A, what you'll get back, and B, just how, you know, you're missing the big picture there. But sometimes also your, your other point there, Mitch, about inadvertent mistakes, and that happens and it happens all the time. And part of being a good regulator, part of the skill of being competent in policing laws is also to exercise a bit of judgment hmm. as well. You know, sometimes you can turn up to and I'm sure you must get this as well yourself because accountants are the, Inevitably, the first point of call for almost all business operators in terms of all these thorny issues. Surprise, very few people go, by the way, very few people go to government agencies for information, there, but 96% of them go to their accountant for their advice. Yeah. Even yep. very, you know, professional competence. But you know, I go about my HR, where will I go about this, where will I go there? Go about everything, no matter if it's something we specialise in or not, they pick up that phone. When I was at the ACCC, for example, wearing another regulatory example, you know, you'd have business operators come up and they would, they would tell you this and you'd just look at them and you go, oh, my friend, look, you know, this conversation didn't happen, but you know what, breaking the law, I know you don't realise it and I can tell, talking to you, the, you know, this, we're not playing for sheep stations here, but, mate, just a word of the wise, stop it and don't, you know, and <laughs> do not do this. And it's not all that you need because sometimes people make that mistake innocently. Yeah, exactly. And not saying that we've done this or ever done this before, but sometimes they do tell you stuff and you go, look, I would I highly recommend stopping doing that. Pass the pass, move on, 
don't do it anymore sort of thing. Obviously, depending on the size, but not saying we would ever do anything like that where they would be doing illegal activities and we would do it. But it's actually, a, it's a bit of an issue that we all get in a professional capacity and it's a bit like being in the confessional. There are times where you just say, that ain't going to happen, you really shouldn't be doing that. It's yeah. a little bit different when they turn up and sort of say, I've buried three people in my backyard. And exactly. That's a different sort of scenario. <laughs> 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 but like, obviously, it's a judgment call on that. But, yeah, if it's a small thing and, you know, stop doing it, this is how you're supposed to do it, move forward. But, yeah, if, if you're committing murder, probably need the cops involved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with the black economy, obviously you guys review where the money's going that's outside of the system through nefarious side of things. What would be, I suppose, an interesting thing that you guys discovered that you weren't expecting? Well, one of the most interesting ones, of course, is you can't actually tell how big the black economy is. Yeah. Because no one goes in a form to say, this is how much I haven't given to the tax office. Yeah, example. yeah, true, true. Yeah. It's a really interesting one about how big is it. One of the things that I was doing in Singapore was a look at the black economy in Southeast Asia as well. And some of the issues are a bit different. For example, you know, they have gem smuggling and they have people moving across borders and they have illegal timber trafficking and, and so forth and bags of money being transported on overseas flights and, and a lot more corruption in a lot of countries. Mm. But for some things that are perennial, First one is, how big is the, the black economy? We know generally that well-run countries, ones with good, clear, transparent rules, a public trust in government, open and accountable government, functioning democracies, rich countries, tend to have lower levels. So, for example, Austria, for example, is one of the countries that gets one of the lowest levels of perceived black economy activity, whereas other nations such as Zimbabwe and many other African countries are at the, the other end of the scale. But how do you measure it? Well, you can't really even ask the people who are doing it because they're not likely to volunteer to be part of a survey. Uh, so there are all sorts of highly sophisticated ways, you know, everything from, for example, calculating how much tax you think should be collected versus how much actually is and then going, well, the difference must be the size of the black economy. But there's a whole bunch of assumptions there. But there's some really interesting ones that aren't, for example, one is, you know, how much illicit, and you may have heard this versions of this floating around before, floating is the word here, illicit drug use is being shown up in wastewater that comes out. For example, wastewater testing that shows levels of methamphetamines, for example, that are being flushed down the toilet or down the sink. Well, that is an indicator of it. Another one is electricity. Yep, yep. Electricity is being used in a city. This one often happens in the third world because you look at a place and you go, my God, the place is lit up like a Christmas tree, but they're officially, according to all the data, there's hardly any economic activity going on here. There's very few businesses. There's very few little tax being paid. So clearly there's a big mismatch between yeah. the two. So sometimes you have to actually be kind of quite innovative about what you do. Australians are one of those countries. Australians are generally fairly adept adopters of new technology and the same applies when we come to cashless transactions that we are a country that has moved quite quickly mm. to being a point of cash is no longer the single preferred option online 
transactions and cashless transactions tend to be far more, and are actually more prevalent now than cash transactions. Yeah. Well. And it's not because they've been forced to do so, and you shouldn't force people to do that. It's simply become a consumer preference. There's a whole generation of people, for example, that are happy to travel with a plastic card and they don't want to carry cash. Yeah. To be honest, that's pretty much me. I've never got cash on me or have five bucks or something, and it's always just on the card. Yeah. And even from our accountancy firm, I reckon ballpark 95% of our client, like revenue comes electronically, EFT, FPOS, whatever. We get very little cash, which is handy for me because it means I don't have to go to the bank. It's just really interesting because, like you said, it wasn't a massive time ago that people were very cash dominant. It's going more and more away from them. Culture makes a real big difference here, though. I've just come back, as we mentioned, from a couple of months living in Singapore, and Singapore is a pretty high-tech, wide Mm. country. It's a country the size of roughly suburban Melbourne, population physically. And yet cash is still tremendously important there. It's a really interesting one. On the one hand, they've got a very high tech in so many areas, but you can't move for finding ATMs, you can't move for people dealing with cash. And the number of cashless transactions, mm. very limited. market where I used to go and shop, the queue for card payments only on the, you know, the devices you use, the machines just to pay your own way rather than go across the teller. The, mm. the, the automated tellers, the card ones weren't used that heavily. People were all queuing because they wanted to use the one where you put your dollar notes in and you get back. Uh, they what, what do you think that is? Just a cultural thing or just? I'm not, I'm not quite sure. See, that is the short answer. It's a cultural thing. What yeah. lies behind it is a little bit different. So Americans, for example, still famously very big on cash and checkbooks, for example. Oh, uh, yeah. It feels like talking about something that's extinct, a checkbook. You know? <laughs> Whereas the Swedes and Scandinavians are right up there as some of the world leaders in terms of non-cash payments these days. They very rarely use cash at all. In fact, it's sometimes said that Sweden is as close to a cashless economy as you can find in the world. Okay. That's interesting. On that, with the, again, the change to the amount of cash that you can purchase something with, Fairly certain it went through. I can't remember. I'd have to double check, but that ten grand limit. The ten grand limit when I left for Singapore was still being debated, and as far as I'm aware, I don't. I think it's still sitting there at the moment. Okay, so I don't know. Yeah. I know they were talking about it. I couldn't remember whether they actually yeah. came in or not. Did arouse a fair bit of you know to and fro. On the one hand, people saying it's a great way to remove illegal transactions and. On the other hand, some people are pointing out a whole variety of ones, everything from freedom of choice. I should be free to pay if I cash if I The actual number of $10,000 transactions that are paid in cash is obviously very small as well. So, Thinking about that one, I honestly don't know exactly where I fall on it. Like, I can definitely see the benefit in black economy, for example, not having heaps of cash and it, it would definitely help there. But at the same time, it is legal tender and... You know, if I can prove that I earned it from legal means, why can't I buy something with it? You know what I mean? So it was interesting. And when I was talking to people previously about it, it was a real, I suppose, a divide. And I don't want to sound like I'm really sitting on the fence, but to be honest, I am, where people were like, no, nah, oh, get rid of it because black economy or 
nah, we don't want it in because freedom of choice and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting move. Like you said, there's not that many transactions over 10 grand that would really happen. And to be honest, most of the transactions I would think of, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty that are, but would be for assets that have to be registered with the government anyway. So buying a vehicle, you know, have to register with the Department of Transport. Buying a house has to go with like Landgate or whatever. So I don't actually know exactly how I sit on that one. <laughs> so I know that was quite it's a challenging one, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, here's an interesting factoid for your audience. It's perfectly legitimate for a business to say, I won't accept cash. That's well being the law. So even though cash is legal currency, is legal tender, of course, the Reserve Bank has been very clear, and I remember being asked this question a number of times in a number of accounting-based forums, surely if someone wants to pay with cash, you're duty-bound to accept it. The answer is actually, no, it's legal tender, but it doesn't mean that a business is obliged to yeah. accept. Business can sort of say, we know, because the question originally came up in a competition in a consumer angle, what happens if a business tells me that they'll only accept payment by, you know, of a card or if it's a large one, EFT. Mm. The answer is that business is within their rights to do it. Yeah. And like with the current climate, with the COVID side of things, we have seen a lot more of that, you know, businesses saying we won't accept cash, which is interesting because I, I know I've seen it and stuff, but it is up to the business. Like you said, it's not like they're obligated to take the cash. So, yeah, that's actually really interesting. That's, that's good to know. It's fair to say COVID is changing up ending a whole bunch of models. It is. It is. It's changing all sorts of stuff. Now, Can you think um, of what you do when you're staying in a hotel for two weeks through to uh, how you accept cash? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So with the Chamber of Commerce, what do you do with them? Right. Okay. So I've been the CEO of the State Chamber of Commerce for the Australian Capital Territory, the Canberra Business Chamber, for about a year and a half. I uh, headed off to Singapore in that time someone else has been running the show. Chambers, of course, are really important, not only for individual businesses but for communities as, as a whole. Chambers exist to provide a service. They provide not only a voice to government on behalf of the business community but also it's a great way in which business people can get together with others who are in exactly the same boat as them. So it doesn't matter whether... You are a local business, a big business, or a medium-sized one. There are always issues that you've got in common, and the only other people that really go to understand them is other business operators. I think the ultimate case is is small business operating because they are the ones that often don't have much in the way of intercompany support because they are effectively the company themselves. Apart from their accountants, they don't really have a lot of other places they can turn to. Their accountants, their friends. Family, what's the old saying? Friends, fools, and family. But generally, asking your friends and family about how to run a business if they've got no experience doesn't move you into the full category anyway. So, chambers are a pretty important function in WA, of course. The peak one is CCI WA, Chamber of Commerce and Industry, but there are local ones. There's several throughout the Peel region, of course. Fremantle Chamber of Commerce, Rockingham, and so forth. So, running that chamber has been really important because it's a conduit, obviously, to local government. Sometimes the bread and butter issues, zoning and planning and even simple things like, can I put 
tables and chairs out here, for example, if I'm running a restaurant, are you, ch- are you changing the bylaws on that right through to bigger picture issue ones at the moment? Of course, state governments are tremendously important in movement of goods and services and people between zones as we react to COVID. Mm-hmm. And of course, the national one as well in terms of the, the framework, most of those tax competition, employment rules, most of those sit with the federal government. So there's a bit of unity and strength is there is really needed as well. So chambers play a really important role that sometimes many people in the business sector kind of think, well, I don't really need it. And the problem is you, you probably will need it at some stage and if you're not a member, it's going to be a little bit too late. A classic one that most business operators will come into, and one which your accountant cannot really help you with, of course, is employment-related matters. For example, have an unfair dismissal matter, if you have an issue where you either need to terminate someone or you need to caution them or you need to actually think about, am I employing a person on the right conditions and I'm paying them the right amount of money? That's where something like a membership of a chamber can be tremendously powerful as well because that small subscription fee will often give you all the coverage of that as well. So that's a real immediate one. I mean, I would sort of say to business people that there is that bigger picture about, you know, chipping in to be part of the bigger business community about building your networks, especially in regional towns. I mean, you know, for example, Mandra, not really a country town, but not part of the city. It's got its own distinct entity. But you're part of that region, building networks, often getting referrals of work from each other. That's how that comes about. So they are... They play a really important role there. The Canberra Chamber is a little bit different to most of the others because it's the only state or territory where there is literally only one chamber. If you're in WA, you can join Rockingham, you can join Fremantle, and then you could also, if you wanted to, join CCIWA. But in ACT, there is only one chamber for the entire state because the ACT is only really Canberra. There is no, interestingly enough, there is literally nothing else there. There are no other towns in that whole state or territory. So we're a slightly bit, a little bit different there. But most of these chambers have been around for close to a century. They go to the Fremantle Chamber of Commerce, for example. They've been around since about the 1860s. Mm-hmm. So it's a very long period of time as well, which goes to show they've got something to, to contribute there. Mm-hmm. Now, that also is trade issues. And one of the things that I was looking up, and I think we wanted to touch on, Mitch, was the issue about doing business, for example, between... Australia and doing it in Asia as well. Yeah. Just a final comment about chambers in general. So there, I think there is a value in being part of it as self-interest as well as the bigger business community interest. But there's also some practical ones, not just that HR issue, but classic one would be if you want to trade, how do I go about doing it? For example, I want to break into a market. How do I do it? You've been listening to The Mitch Maroney Show. Mitch Maroney Show. Stay tuned for more.